Hello. We are so glad that you could join us today. Our prayer is that as you listen to the word, you would take this time to draw nearer to God as an individual and as a family. God loves you so so much, and his desire is for you to get closer to him in this season through worship, through dwelling in his word and prayer. Good morning, and I'm so glad to be able to greet you this morning. And today I want to just talk to you about uh, the storms of life. And uh, we all face storms. Some of us face physical storms like cyclones or hailstorms or earthquakes or floods. Others, uh, other storms are more personal, such as health issues, death in a family, maybe job problems, marital difficulties, child-raising challenges. And then some are of a nature that they affect whole communities or nations, like the current issues around the worldwide shutdown caused by different responses to disease or whatever we're facing, economic meltdown. But one thing we know for sure is that storms are a part of life. The question is not if they will come or when they will come. The question is how will I respond to the storm when it comes? Now, the Apostle Paul, uh, he found himself in a life-threatening storm. For 14 days, the ship that he was traveling in was tossed to and fro by a raging sea. And uh, I'm, beginning to, uh, be, I'm beginning a series, and we're going to be building on this series that we've entitled, Through the Storm. And today we're going to look at the Apostle Paul, and I want to glean out some principles that we can live by, things we can live by in the storms that we're facing and passing through in our lives, maybe right now. I once heard it said that if you're not in a storm, you're coming out of one or preparing to enter one. Uh, that pretty much defines my life. Uh, those few moments where it is calm, uh, we've never hit the doldrums. We've always had uh, something coming on the horizon or something we just left. And I think that's how it is in most of our lives. But I think there's a reason for that as well. Let me just read from the book of Acts to you, Acts chapter 27. Quite a lengthy passage of scripture this morning, but I think it'll be important to you to get the context of the storm. I want you to listen very carefully. Acts 27, verses 1 through 44. And it says, And when it was determined that we should sail to Italy, they delivered Paul and certain other prisoners to one named Julius, a centurion of Augustus's cohort, and boarding the ship of a dramatium, which was about to sail alongside Asian places. We all set sail. Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica, being with us. And on the next day, we were landed at Sidon. And Julius treated Paul courteously and gave him liberty to go to his friends to receive care. And setting sail from there, we sailed close to Cyprus because the winds were contrary. Now there's an indicator. And sailing over the sea against Cilicia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra at Mysia. And there the centurion found a ship of Alexandria sailing to Italy, and he put us on it. And sailing slowly many days and with difficulty, coming abreast of Snedus, the wind was not allowing us, and we sailed close to Crete across from Salmon. And coasting along with difficulty, we came to a place named Fair Havens, near which was a city, the sea. And much time having been used up, 
and the voyage already being dangerous because the fast was now already passed, Paul warned them, saying, Men, I perceive that this voyage is about to be with much harm and loss, and not only much cargo and of the ship, but also our souls. But the centurion was rather persuaded by the helmsman and the shipmaster than by the things spoken by Paul. And the port not being fit to winter in, the most of them advised to set sail from there, if by any means they might be able to get to Phoenix for winter, which is a port of Crete looking toward the southwest and the northwest. And a south wind blowing softly, thinking to have obtained their purpose, lifting anchor, they sailed along close behind Crete. But not long after, a stormy wind called Euroclidon beat down on it, and the ship being seized and not being able to beat against the wind, giving way, we were borne along. And running under an island being called Clauda, we hardly were able to become masters of the boat, which taking... They used helps undergirding the ship, and fearing lest they should fall into the sandbanks of Sirtis, lowering the tackle so they were borne along, and being exceedingly storm-tossed with a tempest, they made a cast on the next day, and on the third day we threw out the ship's tackle with our hands, and neither sun nor stars appearing in many days, and no small tempest pressing hard, now all hope that we would be saved was taken away. But there being much fasting, then standing up in the midst, Paul said, O men, being obedient to me, you ought not have set sail from Crete and to have come by this harm and loss. And now I exhort you to be of good cheer, for there will be no casting away of life among you, only of the ship. For tonight an angel of God stood beside me whose I am and whom I serve, saying, Fear not, Paul, you must stand before Caesar, and behold, God has given you all those that sail with you. Therefore, men, be of good cheer, for I believe God that it will be so, according to the way it was told me. But we must fall on a certain island. But when the fourteenth night came, we being carried about in the Adriatic Sea, about midnight, the sailors thought that they drew near to some country, and sounding, they found it 20 fathoms. And moving a little further and sounding again, they found it 15 fathoms. And fearing that we would fall on rocks and casting four anchors out of the stern, they wished day to come. But the sailors, seeking to flee out of the ship and lowering the boat into the sea, pretending to be able to cast out anchors from the prow, Paul said to the centurion and to the soldiers, Lest these remain in the ship, you cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut the ropes of the boat and let her fall. And until day was about to come, Paul begged all to take food, saying, This is the fourteenth day that you've continued waiting without food, having taken nothing. Therefore I beg you to take some food, for this is for your deliverance. For not a hair of your head shall perish. And saying these things and taking bread, he gave thanks before all to God. And breaking, he began to eat. And all becoming cheered, they also took food. And we were all the souls in the ship, 276. And being filled with food, they lightened the ship, throwing the wheat into the sea. And when day came, they did not recognize the land. 
But they discovered a certain bay with a beach into which they were minded if they were able to drive the ship. And casting off the anchors, they left them in the sea. At the same time, they loosened the rudder bands and hoisted up the foresail to the wind and held to the shore. And coming on a place between two seas, they drove the vessel. And indeed, the prow sticking fast, it remained unmovable. But the stern was broken with the violence of the waves. And the mind of the soldiers was to kill the prisoners, lest any of them should swim out and escape. But the centurion, desiring to save Paul, kept them from their purpose and commanded those who could swim to throw themselves overboard, to go out to the land. And the rest went, some on boards and others on some of the things from the ship. And so it happened that all were saved on the land. You know, I know that's a lengthy passage of Scripture, but it's a fascinating story. And as I prepared this message and I reread the incredible story in the life of Paul, I couldn't help but reflect on the storm that we've been going through in this terrible season in the earth. And uh, it breaks my heart sometimes when I see these storms and the effect it has on people. You know, I see three different responses in this story. And I see that same response or those same responses in the lives of both believers and unsaved people. First of all, I I perceive that there are a large number of people that have given up in the storm. Think of the amount of personal loss of life, of liberties and freedoms, along with the loss of opportunities that people have suffered over the past 18 months. For some, it's just been too much for them. You know, many see that the world, and they see the world's sins and the corruption, and they actually believe that it's impossible to change any of it. They evaluate their own spiritual capabilities, or they evaluate the spiritual capabilities of the church, and they conclude that it's hopeless, that either they or both, the church and them, are nearly powerless to transform the world that is around them. Many, because they're unable to cope, have given into a spirit of apathy. But I don't believe that these people are apathetic without a cause. In fact, I think they're a lot like Lot. The Bible describes in 2 Peter 2, verses 7 and 8, uh, about Lot. It says that he delivered righteous Lot, oppressed with the lustful behavior of the lawless. For the righteous one living among them, in seeing and hearing his righteous soul was tormented from, the, from day to day with their unlawful deeds. You see, Lot lived in Sodom and Gomorrah. He lived in a perilous and terrible, terrible time where much of what we're seeing today, I mean, we're living in the same kind of spirit. And it vexed his soul, the Bible says. It, he, he, his soul was tormented because of the unlawful deeds. And uh, I, I think that we see a lot of people today that are, Uh, feeling that same way, and uh, they want to give up. Uh, I think others are inwardly grieved at the conduct of unprincipled men and women around them. Uh, There's almost a spirit of discouragement and unbelief that the people of this world can be so wicked and so corrupt. Uh, You know, uh, many of us are naive. We we grew up thinking that, hey, you know, man left to himself, he would do the right thing, We're finding out that that's not true, that man left to himself goes deeper into wickedness and corruption. And 
all I want to say is this, that the intensity of the storm, for many of us, have dampened us. It's dampened countless people's spiritual reserves and their resources. And it's caused their flame to diminish. And uh, the, the size of that flame has been so diminished that all they can think about is either themselves or their immediate family or some small group of people, some just small group of needs. They're not outward looking anymore. In fact, we can see this reflected in this story. We see it in the sailors on this boat. The Bible says this, but the sailors seeking to flee out of the ship and lowering the boat into the sea, pretending to be about to cast out anchors from the prow. Paul said to the centurion and to the soldiers, unless they remain in the ship, you cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut the ropes and the, of the boat and they let her fall. You know, it's human nature to seek one's own, to seek self-preservation, to be uh, caring about you, me, myself, and I, us four, no more, you know, our families. And, uh, you know, one of the indicators of this is when we see people begin to isolate themselves. Or when you see yourself isolating yourself from other people, uh, that's a good indicator that you're not in a healthy place. Proverbs says it this way in Proverbs 18, verse 1. It says, he that separates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound wisdom. Those sailors sought their own. That night they were thinking, hey, under the, the cover of darkness, they'll go back pretending to do something else, and then they'll steal the lifeboat and make their way to shore, you know, because they said, this baby's going down, this ship's going down. So, uh, but they were thinking only about themselves. And it's a dangerous thing when you begin to only think about yourself. Paul said, if you don't stay together, if we can't all stay together, we'll all lose our lives. You see, we can see that if we don't stay together, if we allow ourselves to be separated, or allow people to divide us, or we divide ourselves, we become a prey. And when we become a prey, we can lose our lives. You know, during a storm, it's easy to lose sight of our objectives uh, or our objective. We can begin to blame others. We can begin to uh, find ourselves in a place where we're no longer able to hear any sound wisdom, the wisdom of others. In fact, we become our own wisdom. We make up our own minds and, and we rail against all sound wisdom. I think it's important in this season that we're in that we really evaluate ourselves and find out, are we isolated? Are we uh, fearful? Have we allowed the storms of this life to put us in such a position that we cannot hear wisdom, that we are uh, basically we're caught up in the storm? The storm has silenced us. I think that's an important point. The second thing I'd like to look at, the second kind of person, or the second group of people, are those who are railing against the storm. I, I think of a movie, uh, Forrest Gump. Uh, he uh, had his captain in the army that lost both legs and was so bitter, and he uh, goes out and he starts a, I think, he, I think the story goes that he started a, uh, uh, he worked on a shrimping boat or something, and, and one day he, there's a terrible storm in the sea, and he, he gets up into the crow's nest right on the top of the mast and he starts screaming at God, 
kill me, kill me. Because you know, his life, he thought, had become so miserable. And in this, in this terrible storm, he's railing against God. He's railing against the storm and, and arguing against the storm. Uh, I think we have people doing that today. There are people that see the evil and they're not apathetic at all. In fact, to the contrary, they've gone on the attack. They are outspoken opponents of the depravity of the ungodly, and they protest the audacity of the wicked. Uh, we have some that are using the pulpit. Others are using the public square. And they're both vocal and visible. Uh, we see a lot of guys using the social media to lash out, lash out against everything that's going on. Unfortunately, many who have been most vocal have not been able to affect positive societal change and have, for the most part, been neutralized because of their negativity and their rage. They're characterized and then dismissed as being judgmental or extremist or all kinds of things. I can tell you, sinners especially cannot endure the harshness of this kind of approach. You know, we can scream at the top of our voices at the storm or at those that we deem responsible for the storm. But often it will be too little or to no avail. I believe for those of us that are Christians, we must understand that God wants to see us get through the storm as much as we do. He's doing a work. But his goal is diverse. And as with many of us, he wants to see our culture reformed. That said, the goal cannot be to just make everyone Christian. We can see what happens when a belief is forced on someone. Uh, we can see what's happening in the Middle East and, and even on our borders uh, with uh, Mozambique and the, the eastern seaboard of, of Africa where Islam is being forced on people. We, we, in our history, we've seen where Christianity at one time was forced on people. Those aren't real Christians. Those are people that for some political or for self-survival, adhered to something. You know, you can be uh, sitting down on the outside, but standing up on the inside. And uh, so when we force someone to do something, that's not culture change. That's, that's adapting for survival or for some other reason. See, our, our culture is not going to be transformed until we are transformed in our hearts and our lives. You know, sometimes we can get so upset that the world is unchristian that we stop being troubled that our own hearts may be unchristlike. We must understand that God never misses an opportunity to help us and help his church become conformed to the image of his son, Jesus Christ. In fact, God uses the storms of this life to achieve his highest purpose. What is his highest purpose? to transform us, to transform his church into the very image of his dear son, Jesus Christ. Now, listen how Paul describes this to the Ephesian church. In, in the book of Ephesians, I, I love this because he describes God's working in our lives. and I, I think this is an important passage of scripture. I, I meditate on this often. And again, it's a little bit lengthy, but I, I think it speaks to where we're at right now. Ephesians 1, 3 through 23 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, 
according as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us into the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he has made us accepted in the Beloved, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he hath purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him in whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will, that we should be to the praise of his glory, who first trusted in Christ, in whom you also trusted, after that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, after that you believed, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. Wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord, the Lord Jesus, and the love unto all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding, being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints." And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ, when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come, and hath put all things under his feet, and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. Now, I don't have time to break that verse down today or that chapter, but it's important. I think it's important that you take time to go back over that and meditate because it defines what's God's real work, the power of God working on your inner man to become more Christ-like, that that in-working that's working on the inside of you can be expressed not only in you, but can be expressed in his church, both the local church where you're planted and the greater body of Christ worldwide. His desire is to see you and I as the body of Christ reflecting the fullness of him, that is Jesus, him that filleth all and is in all. (laughs) You know, when I think about this, how powerful God wants us to be, All I can say is I think we have a long way to go. But we're on that journey, and God is doing a deep, deep work on the inside of his saints. He's doing a deep work on the inside of your heart and my heart. And I'm not sure that we can accomplish this by screaming at the wind. So I do want to take you to the third point today. And it's the third group of people that I think are in this storm. And it's represented by the Apostle Paul. By the way, this was not Paul's first shipwreck. Uh, 
In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 25, he describes his life. In fact, if you go through there, there's about six verses there where you know, I think of Paul and I think, oh my gosh, this guy was a mega warrior. But in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 25, it says, Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Three times I was shipwrecked. And I have spent a night and a day in the deep. That means he was adrift in the sea outside of a ship. This was not his first storm. If you read the sufferings of Paul, the apostle, it makes you kind of shudder when you think of all that he went through for the gospel of Jesus Christ. But it it was his very passion to be conformed to the image of Christ that separated him from everybody else. I think it's this attitude in us that will make us and make those of us that are going through the storm more effective. If we allow the storms of life to conform us into the image of Christ, we can really become world changers. But if we allow those storms to conform us into the image of this world or to embitter us, I think that we stand a chance of losing a lot. You see, God's highest priority is to behold his son. He wants to behold his son as he is revealed in the soul of a believer. You know, if we ever learn that our highest quest is not just to touch the heart of our neighbor, but to touch the heart of God, then we will awaken the Father's pleasure and will ignite the power of his Holy Spirit on the inside of us. You see, it's only then that God will use us to change the hearts and the minds of the people around us. Zechariah says it this way in chapter 4 and verse 6. He says, it's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. By the time we see Paul on this journey, he's a different man than the man we saw in the first part of his life. When we read the first part of the book of Acts, Paul's this angry man. He's chasing the church down. And then we see him contesting and contending for the faith, and he's fighting, and he's driven out of every city. I mean, Paul goes through so much because he's just a, a tough man. He's, he's done all these other things. The, 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 he's railing against the storm. He's railing against situation. And God used him. Don't get me wrong. God's using him. But we see a different man now. Paul's passion has become one primary goal. We see it reflected in the book of Philippians, chapter 3, verses 10, and then again in verse 12, it says, Paul says this, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. Verse 12 says, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ. When I read these verses and I, and I think of Paul, uh, I think we can define Paul's primary goal in two words. Being conformed. Being conformed to the purpose of Jesus Christ. I want you to notice something. By now his quest was not to win the world, but to know Jesus Christ. Paul's on his way to Rome. Paul has preached all over Asia. He's preached all over Europe, uh, the, the, the Macedonian area. Paul has established churches. Paul is, is, is uh, bringing a gospel to the Gentiles. He's an amazing man. 
He's in, in fact, he's, he's accomplished incredible works. He's founded churches. He's written half of the New Testament. Uh, he's had a demonstration. He's, he's demonstrating miracles and spiritual gifts. And, and, and then the, the, the fact that he remained faithful through all the unbelievable trials and all the tribulations he went to is amazing. But these were all incidental to the fulfillment of his passion to know Christ. I want you to listen to Paul's exhortation. Remember, this is after he tried to warn the centurion and the captain. You remember when he, when he was warning the captain, he says, I perceive that this voyage is about to be with much harm and loss, and not only much of the cargo, but the ship is going to go down, and even our souls. We may lose our lives. But the Bible says that the centurion was more persuaded by the owner and the helmsman of the ship than by the things that were spoken by Paul. And because the port wasn't really suited for winter, and the advice was that they should sail, set sail from there, uh, they tried to get to a place called Phoenix, which was a port near Crete. It had a very good setting for a wintering. But you notice that Paul didn't argue. He didn't fight them. And they had no idea who he was. They had no idea what authority he carried in the kingdom of God. But now, in the midst of a terrible storm where there's little or no hope. Now listen to what his words say to this captain, to this centurion, to all the people on board. He says, on the third day we threw out and the ship's tackle. We threw it out with our own hands. and The sun didn't appear and the stars didn't appear and there was no small tempest. There was a big storm, in other words. And it was pressing hard against us. And all hope of being saved was taken away. But after there had been much fasting, Paul, standing up in the middle of the ship, said, Men, be obedient to me. For you, you didn't listen to me the first time. He says, You ought to have not sailed from Crete. This harm wouldn't have come to you, if you had, and you would not have suffered loss. But now... He says, I exhort you to be of good cheer, for there will be no casting away of life among you, only of the ship. For tonight an angel of God stood beside me, whose I am and whom I serve, saying, Fear not, Paul, you must stand before Caesar, and behold, God has given you all of those who sail with you. Therefore, men, be of good cheer, for I believe God that this will be so, according to the way it was told to me. See, Paul had learned something. He'd learned a great lesson in life. Although God was concerned with the ship and God was concerned about the storm, he was more concerned with Paul and the church being conformed to the image of Christ. You see, God had a purpose for Paul to extend the church of Jesus Christ to Rome and for him to appear before Caesar. And it was only because of this and the fact that the men in the boat now heeded his warning that all the lives would be saved and the greater of glory, glory of God would be served. You see, God desires this end even more than seeing world revival. Can, can, I, can I explain something to you? God is more interested in what's going on in the hearts of men and in his church than he is in the storm. God knows he can get us through the storm. He just wants to know, can we get the storm out of our heart? Can we trust him in the storm? Think about this. If God's main priority was the salvation of the lost, he would have simply bypassed the church and saved men himself. Remember, it was that same Paul 
that had seen a bright light and heard a voice of Jesus speaking to him on the Damascus Road. God used this man, who had received a direct intervention from God himself, to save the life of all those on board that ship. You see, in the midst of this terrible storm, Paul was more concerned with what Jesus was doing than what was happening in the storm. Although he had not been hurt at first, something changed, not because of his message, but because of his relationship. The angel of God whose I am and whom I serve. Wow, there's a message right there. Can you see the order in that? First, whose I am. The angel of God, whose I am. God, I I belong to God. Secondly, whom I serve. Paul had it right. He knew whose he was, and from that came the ability to know what to do and what to say. Believe it or not, this is the glorious mystery of our existence. The Almighty has purposed from eternity to create a race of men and women who, though tested in the storms of a corrupt and a violent world, will bear the image and the likeness of Christ. He said in 2 Corinthians, he says, So that if anyone is in Christ, that one is a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. We, as a church, and each one of us as a part of the church, are on an amazing journey. We, too, will face many storms and many challenges. Can we put off the old man and put on the new? Can we focus on Christ in the storm, or do we focus on the storm? You see, as we become more conscious of what God is doing in our lives through Christ, only then will we find ourselves like Paul, saying, the God whose I am and whom I serve. He will not only preserve me, but he'll preserve all that I have in my sphere sphere of influence, all the people around me, because he's doing something through me for the church, because the church is the expression of his glory in the earth. I believe if we will align ourselves with Christ, I believe if we'll align ourselves with his purposes, if we'll be concerned about how we represent him in the storms of life, or the storms that we might be facing right now. Then we will be confident of whose we are. And when we are, then we can be effective in serving and speaking and doing what we need to do for others. Jesus said it this way in Matthew 6.33. He says, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and everything else will be added to you. There is an order to the things of the kingdom. And today, whatever storm you find yourself in, it's important, number one, not to despair. Right now, wherever you're at, if you're in that place of despair, and I know many people are, they're fearful. Uh, We still have people that are afraid to come out of their houses. They're afraid of this disease that 99% of people get over naturally. They don't know what to do. The the fear has gripped them so much that they just, they've despaired of life. The storm has overwhelmed them. Their boat is swamped. And if it hasn't affected their own psyche, it's affected their marriage or their family or their relationships. And you need help. We all need help. So we want to encourage you. There's a phone number right there on the screen. And 
There's somebody on the other end of that line that can help you make those first steps to get out of the storm, to help find a group of people that you can fellowship with, uh, lead you to Christ. You know, the Bible says that Christ is love. And, you know, when love comes into your heart, when you receive Christ, it drives out fear. Perfect love drives out fear. And some of you just need to have Christ come into your life. Uh, others of you, 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 you really just need to take the step of faith and start coming back to church and find some people to fellowship with. And we have all kinds of ways to do that. Cell groups and uh, youth groups and cross-culture and singles groups and women's groups and men's groups. And there's all kinds of things that you can do. And uh, you don't have to even come on Sunday, but the church is open on Sundays now. So uh, there's room for you. Whatever you need to do, make a phone call. Find out how you can get help. The second thing is the Bible also says that we can be angry but not sin. You know, many people get angry at what's going on in the world. And I believe there's a place for social disobedience. And today I think we need to be a little bit disobedient about some of the craziness of people that are imposing crazy stuff. I think there's a place for that. And I think there's a place to be a little bit outspoken against the corruption and the sin that's in this world. But we have to do so from the position of faith and not fear. Mercy, not judgment. Grace and persuasion, not railing against those who are bound up in foolishness and are often blinded by their own sinfulness and their own fearful lives. We, we can't solve a problem at the same level it was created. We have to rise above and we have to speak the truth in love. And we have to understand that you know, a sinner doesn't know to do anything else but sin. That's how they are created. and You can't get mad at them for doing what they were made to do. You have to lead them to a rock that's higher than that and guide them. And we do that through our gentleness. We do that through our persuasion, persuading men to come to a knowledge of Christ. And then finally today, I think we should all try to emulate the Apostle Paul and learn what it means to be hidden in Christ, to come to know whose I am and whom I serve. Again, this can be enhanced through meaningful fellowship. Church is open. Cells are meeting. Youth, cross-culture. Uh, be that man. Roots. And, and, and the, the way you can make contact, if you haven't been in contact for a while, uh, come on, get back in the saddle. Pick up the phone. Call that number. If you need somebody to pray with you, pray right now. If you need help, if you need a word of encouragement, there's somebody on that end of that line that can talk to you. If they can't help you, they can get you to a pastor. They can get you to somebody that can't help you. And uh, I'd like you to pray with me right now. If you've never received Christ, I'd like you to pray this prayer. Just put your hand on your heart and say, Jesus, I am a sinner. I am fearful. I'm lost. I'm undone. I, I feel guilty. I don't know what to do, but I need God in my life. Jesus, would you forgive me? Would you come into my heart? Would you save me? Would you keep me? Would you help me today? Would you please be my Lord and be my Savior? Amen. You know, if you prayed that prayer, the Bible says this, if a man will confess with his mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, believe in his heart that God has raised him from the dead, that man will be saved. Now, it's not just saying those words, it's believing. It's, it's, it's a connected at the heart. And God will begin a great work in your heart as you turn to him. He says, if you turn to me, I'll turn to you. And uh, so I want to encourage all of you that prayed that prayer again. Just call somebody. Tell them, hey, I prayed that prayer. And they'll give you some first steps, things you can do 
uh, to get into a local church, to uh, make your growth in God, your growth in Christ uh, easier. Let me pray as we close. Father, I thank you today for great grace. I thank you for great favor. I, great, I thank you for men and women who are not afraid to face the storms of life, but whatever, wherever we're at today in the storm, Father, my prayer is that we would allow Christ to be formed in us. Keep us, bless us, guide us, protect us, and most of all, Father, let our hearts be soft and not embittered. Let us listen to the voice of the Good Shepherd. Let us hear Jesus in the midst of our storm. Let us hear the angel of the Lord in the midst of our storm, just like Paul did. And let us have answers, not only for our lives, but for those around us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. We'll see you again next week. Thank you for listening to today's message. We pray that you were blessed and that God will continue to transform your life in this season. If you have a testimony or need prayer and counseling, please send a WhatsApp or a call me to plus 263-784-303900 or plus 263-717-459999. We want to hear from you and we're here for you and are ready to listen to you, to pray for you and to celebrate with you. So thank you. We love you and stay safe.